right, can you hear me? If I start getting excited, I'm liable to knock this thing over for sure. So I get kind of fired up here sometimes, you know? All right, well, praise God. I am so glad to be back in the pulpit. I've been out for the last couple weeks, as you know, and we've been so blessed to have a couple of uh, guest pastors come and share God's Word with us. And I had to... It was uh, finals time for me, and I had to dedicate some serious time to that. I asked you guys to please be praying for me. Thank you. Your prayers were felt. God had mercy on me, and so did my professors. And so 14 units, four classes, that for me was a massive load, especially in this season. And so <clears throat> I learned what not to do, and um, I won't be doing that again for a little while, but... Uh, I praise God. I learned some things. I trust that it was uh, worth, worth the, the time and the energy. But I am done. I am free. Praise God for the summer. So with that, um, I would like to share a quick word uh, with the fathers for the fathers. Happy Father's Day uh, to all my, my brothers in here who have uh, been blessed with children to care for. And uh, I just wanted to say, as I was kind of reflecting on God as Father, as uh, Pastor Dan had already mentioned, you know, it's interesting, oftentimes when we try to consider God and, and think of Him, we, we oftentimes think of Him as Creator, perhaps. Uh, but the, the problem with that is that in order for God to be Creator, He has to create in order to be who He is, if that's His identity. Does that make sense? He has to have a creation to be who He is. And that, that would mean that He needs us somehow to be Himself. And we know nothing could be farther from the truth. God needs nothing. Sometimes, and we rightly think of God as holy. And the Scriptures are so clear. God is fiercely holy. But what does holy mean? It means to be separate, to be distinct, different, set apart. And how would you understand God's holiness when there was nothing for Him to be set apart from before there was creation? This kind of stuff boggles the mind a little bit, doesn't it, when you think about that? But you know, there is one way that you can understand God, and God has always existed well outside of time and space and creation, and that is as Father within His triune being. He has always been Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so therefore... We understand God has always existed as a loving Heavenly Father. And in a sense, we have the privilege and the, the, really the fearful weight, I think, of reflecting God and the love of God as a Heavenly Father. And so ours is an awesome responsibility to love as we have been loved and to reflect the goodness and the kindness and the provision and the strength of our Father in Heaven. And so... I think we all know that we need some prayer in that regard. So I'm going to pray for myself. I'm going to pray for us men. And I'm going to pray for our service today. So would you please join me? Father God, we love you so much. And we thank you, Lord, that in Christ we can call you Father. That you love us so much, God. You were willing to pay such a price such a price that you would have us as your own. And not only were we forgiven, our debt paid and removed, but we've been adopted. 
we have been brought into the family of God. We are beloved children. We are sons and daughters of the Most High, the King, eternal. And we worship You. And Father, as I have already said, there is this sense in which we can represent You. We can reflect Your love and Your goodness, Your kindness, Your care as a father to our children. And I I ask for the grace and the mercy to be able to do such a thing, God, to be able to fulfill such a task. Because we're honest with ourselves, we all know that we fall so very short and that we have fallen short of that. But God, You are so very good and kind and You are patient and You will see us through. And so I pray for the sustaining grace and the ability to rise to such an occasion, to such a challenge. And so I thank You for the fathers in this room. I thank You for the men of God here today. And I pray a very special blessing over them that they would continue to lead well and to father well. And I pray that this would be a very special day for them, that their families would love them and serve them and celebrate them and their faithfulness to the family. And so we praise you, God. We thank you for this time that we gather corporately to worship you and to sit under the teaching of the word. And Father, may this simply be a continuation of worship as I proclaim the excellencies of Christ Proclaim your glories and seek to unfold, God, the truths of your word and to share them. I pray that I would do so with clarity, with conviction and love, with accuracy, and that you, O oh God, would illumine your word to us and that you would speak to us by your Holy Spirit. Everybody in here needs to hear from you, Father. We all need to hear from your word. So would you please, God, speak to us by your word today? And we come in faith, believing and knowing that you will because you are a good, good Father. And we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen. All right. Glory to God. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, and if you don't, there should be one under a chair nearby you, would you turn with me to 1 Thessalonians? The book of 1 Thessalonians. We are continuing our study through the book. We are picking up in chapter 3, verse 9. And as I already mentioned, I've been away for a couple of weeks here. I've not been in the pulpit, so... I think it would be helpful if we do a little bit of a recap here just to kind of catch back up to where we left off and where we are picking up at today. And so we know that this book is written by the Apostle Paul. He was a Pharisee. He was very zealous for the law. And he was a hater of Christians and the church in his ignorance. But God in His great mercy, He intervened in Saul's life and... Saul came to saving faith, to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, and he began to be known by the name Paul, and he was the great missionary of the early church. And he went out in the power of the Spirit, and he planted many churches, and then he would write letters to these churches. And so as he was moved along by the Holy Spirit, he would write these letters that we would call inspired scriptures, the inspired Word of God oftentimes pertaining to things that are very relevant to the health of the churches and various issues that were going on. And that's what we have in front of us today. We have this letter of 1 
Thessalonians. Paul went into this town, planted this church. He had to leave abruptly because of persecution. And he so loved this church, and he was so concerned for the well-being of this church that he sent Timothy back to find out were they still standing. Had the church continued on even though he had to leave early. And Timothy came back with a great report that the church was not only alive, it was thriving. So then Paul wrote this letter. Paul wrote this letter back to them to celebrate just how well the church was doing there and to encourage them to continue on doing the things that they were already doing. And so that's really the theme of this letter is keep doing what you're doing. What you're doing is great. And you have a reputation that is just regionally known and the people are so excited and I'm so excited to hear what God is doing in your midst so just go deeper keep doing that more and more you could say that's kind of the theme more and more just as you are loving abounding in love do so more and more and that comes out in our text today so really in chapter one that's exactly what Paul starts with he says man God is so good God is so faithful and it is so obvious to me that you are God's chosen people, you are God's elect, because here you are. When the word went forth, you received it as the word of God, and in full conviction, and the power of the Holy Spirit. And that was, that was just a clear indicator to Paul that they were legit, they were the real deal. And then in chapter 2, Paul reflects on his time there with them, and he reminds them of his conduct and his character when he was in their midst, because so often, False teachers would come in behind Paul and they would seek to discredit Paul and to uh, turn the people against Paul for their own advantage, for their own gain. And so Paul reminded them how he was there amongst them with sincerity, with integrity, like a, like a, a mother and a father. He uses that imagery. And then as we move into chapter 3, Paul begins to really share his heart, just to express his heart to them. We really get a look inside the soul of Pastor Paul, if you will. This is a, a profile of a pastor's heart for the church, the whole chapter here, chapter 3. And so we looked at the first five verses in chapter 3, and we saw the concern that Paul had for the well-being of the church. You may recall that. And so Paul's great concern for the well-being of the church, that was the first message. Then the second message it was Paul's celebration for the well-being of the church. Paul was overcome with joy. They were doing so very well, and that gave Paul great cause for celebrating. You remember I talked about how in pastoral ministry oftentimes there's just this immense weight, this burden for the well-being of the church. And Paul expressed that. He said, you know, I suffer physically in so many different ways, but what comes upon me daily is my concern for the churches. And so Paul had this abiding concern. And then there's also so many discouragements and difficulties that can arise in the ministry. And so when there is cause for celebration, it's that much sweeter. And so Paul expressed just how overjoyed he was for them. And that brings us to today's message. We'll be looking at verses 9 through 13. And this is Paul's counting on God for the well-being of the church. You can do everything in your power to try to serve the church and to foster it into a place of help, but at the end of the day, it's got to be God. Amen? And that goes for anything in our lives. Anything in our lives. We, we do the very best that we can, but we got to give it to God. 
God in the end is the one. It rises and falls on His faithfulness and His kindness and His power. Amen? And such is the case in ministry. And this, this kind of brings up an interesting thing that we see in the, in the Bible. There are, are oftentimes these realities that stand side by side and it's hard for us to understand how they work or how they fit. It's a mystery to us, but we know that it is true nonetheless. For instance, I already mentioned the Trinity, right? We have one God and three persons. He is not three gods. He is one God, three distinct persons. But, you know, God didn't die on the cross. Jesus did. So how does that work? Well, our human minds can't really understand that in its fullness. It's a divine mystery to us, but it's true. Another one is the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is truly God and truly man. And so he knows all things. He is sovereign, omniscient creator. But even Jesus said that he doesn't know the time of his own return. Only the Father knows that. So it's like, how does that work exactly? It's a mystery to us. The Bible says that God is sovereign over all things. There is the issue of God's sovereign, divine election or choosing. Yet the Bible also says that man is volitional and that we are responsible. So how do those two go together? It's a mystery, yet they do. Here's, here's another one that's going to speak a little bit more to our text today. God's strength and our strength. Where does one begin and the other end when it comes to obedience? You know, when we're struggling to obey in a particular area and we think, God, I need your help, and we'll often hear people say things like, well, you were doing it in your own strength. That is such a mystery to me. Where exactly is the defining line in, in all of this? At what point is it God's strength working in me or my strength? We just don't know. But we're told that we are to exercise ourselves unto uh, godliness, exercise our salvation, uh, to work out our salvation. Yet it is God who is working in us both to will and to do for His own good pleasure. And we'll see quite a bit of that in our text today. But this is really the, the one I wanted to come to here. And this is one that's more recently come to me as, as a pastor. Who is building the church, Jesus or the pastor? Well, yes, that is the obvious answer. But you know what? The pastor sure can kill the church. And so, like, as I stepped into this ministry, I began to feel the weight of, yeah, it's my responsibility to lead well and to feed well. And to try to foster, you know, health into this church. But Jesus is the one who's building His church. Amen? And He made that promise. But sometimes you can really struggle with, again, where, where does this, where, you know, where does it meet? We just don't know. And so what I see here in the text today with Paul is, is that he, he had such a concern for the church. And he had great celebration for the well-being of the church, but at the end of the day, he had to count on God for the well-being of the church. He just, this chapter ends with Paul's prayer. Paul goes to the Father in prayer for the well-being of the church because Paul knows that it, it's not on him at the end of the day. It was, it's on God, and he had to be able to count on God for the well-being of the church. And that's really what we see in our text today. And there's four things that Paul prays. The first is a prayer of gratitude. Paul starts by thanking God and rejoicing for the people in God. Gratitude to God for the sake of the church. The second thing we see, it's a prayer for God's direction. 
that God would guide Paul back to be reunited with the church. That God would direct his steps, guide his, his way back. And third, it's a prayer of excellence and love, that they would excel. That they would excel in their love one for another and for all people. And then lastly, it's a prayer of readiness, that the church would be ready when the Lord returns. Those four things. And so at the end of the chapter, Paul wraps this whole thing up with, God, you got to do this. God, please, would you make it so? God, have your way here. And that is just so, that, there's so much instruction in that for us because we, we have to work hard at it, do we not? We have to make every, every effort in this life and in this walk, but at the end of the day, we have to fall on God's mercy and trust Him to see us through, right? Amen? And so with that, that brings us to our text. So if you would, look at verse 9. And this is Paul's prayer of gratitude to God. Paul's prayer of gratitude to God for the sake of the church. Verse 9. For what thanks can we render to God for you, for all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God? So Paul says, oh, how we thank God for you. How could we ever thank God enough for you? That's, that's how he starts this out. And notice what he's doing here. He's giving who the, the credit? God, obviously. He's giving God the glory. Really awesome things happening in the church there, but it's all God. How could we ever thank God enough for what is happening in your midst? What we note here is that it is not Paul giving the credit to himself as such a great apostle, right? He's not like, well, you know, I did plant the church there. And, uh, you know, I do have mad apostolic skills. And so it just makes sense that you guys would be thriving. And so, no, we don't see that at all. He knows that it is all God. If there's anything good going on in that church right there, it is by the grace of God. It is because of the faithfulness of a glorious and loving God. And so that's right where Paul makes a beeline to and he gives God the glory, and that's the way that it ought to be. God's glory is God's goal. And so, of course, God was going to be faithful to those folks there in the church because His glory was at stake, and God is jealous for His own glory. He won't share it with another. And so God's faithfulness was on the line, and God showed Himself to be faithful to His people. God will always be faithful to His people. God will always be true and consistent to His own name, His own character. Always. Paul knows this. Paul praises God for that. And then he says, for all the joy with which we rejoice. That's kind of a redundant statement there. And so I just see the, the emphasis. This, is, this just expresses the magnitude of the joy that Paul has because of what's going on in the church there. And he just rejoices with great joy before God because of what God was doing in that place. And so Paul honors God greatly as he ought. But there's something else that stands out to me about this. Something else. Not only does Paul give the credit to God in prayer here, but he's also rejoicing for the sake of other people. Rejoicing for the sake of others. Now, just back in verse 8 of chapter 3, Paul said this, and this is the NLT. It says, 
It gives us new life to know that you are standing firm in the Lord. That's amazing. It gives us new life to know that you are standing firm in the Lord. Paul said, man, I am revived. I am revived to know that you guys are staying the course and that you are standing firm in Jesus. I see something similar to this over in Philemon. You may know the the little book of Philemon. It's one chapter, and it centers around this guy named Philemon who has a church in his house over in Colossae. And Paul is arrested in Rome, and Philemon had a slave that lived there named Onesimus, and Onesimus left Philemon's house and, and evidently stole some belongings from Philemon to fund his way over to Rome, and then somehow Onesimus connects with Paul, and Paul leads him to, to the Lord and then tells him he needs to go back. That blows the mind to think, but he did it in obedience, and he went back. And so Paul sends this letter with Onesimus appealing to Philemon to not only forgive Onesimus, but basically to release him and to make him consider him now just a brother in Christ. And Paul, first off, in verse 7 of Philemon, he says this, of, of Philemon, he says, We have great joy and consolation in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. So Paul points out that this Philemon had a reputation of being one who refreshed and encouraged other people. And Paul said, man, that just, that just brings joy and comfort to me to see other people being blessed, to know that you have a reputation of, of strengthening and encouraging the saints. That encourages me. But then in the end of the letter, Philemon chapter 1, verse 17, Paul says this, If you then count me as a partner, receive Onesimus as you would me. But if he has wronged you or owes you anything, put that on my account. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I will repay. But then listen to this. He says, yes, brother, let me have joy from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart. Refresh my heart in the Lord. So he says, you got a reputation of encouraging and refreshing other believers. How about refreshing my heart? And how was he going to do that? by extending mercy to Onesimus. So Paul was a man that really got fired up when he saw good things happening for other people. When he saw the goodness of God, the provision of God, the mercy of God being extended to others, Paul just so rejoiced. That really refreshed him. Is that true of us? Do we rejoice for other people when we see good things happening to them? In the day and the age that we live in, I would say oftentimes we don't. Oftentimes, maybe we struggle in that area. But I see here, Paul gives credit to God for what God had done in that place, and he rejoices for the mercy that they have received from God. And that is amazing to me. You know, I think this is a mercy that God gives us as His people. When, you know, I've been in situations where I saw people receive mercy, receive mercy, and I... I, saw other people get really upset about it. They kind of felt like they should have got what was coming to them, but they didn't. Instead, they got mercy. And I remember looking at that and thinking, right or wrong, I don't know, but all I know is I need that kind of mercy. And that same God is my God. And so if He's merciful like that to them, then I know He's merciful like that to me. And that's just another way in which God reminds us of His own love when we see how God extends mercy and blesses other people. 
And so no wonder Paul rejoiced all over again when he saw God moving in this church. He's like, that's my God. And he's faithful. And he's merciful to you and he's merciful to me. He is a God that is steadfast in love, abounding in mercy. Amen? And so I think that is a grace that God gives us. So having the ability to rejoice. I mean, even just recently, I saw a brother who I love dearly and just going through a really hard time. And I I just began to watch how God was providing for him and how God was moving in his life. And I just thought, man, that's my God. You know? He loves him. And he loves me. He loves us. We need that love, don't we? We need that reminder, I think. So praise God that he does that. And so having the ability to recognize God and give God the credit when God deserves it, which is always, and sometimes we don't even do that. Sometimes we fail to give God the credit or the glory because we're not really paying attention. But Paul saw it, and he praised God for it. And that brings us to our next point, number two. This is a prayer for God's guidance. This is a prayer for God's guidance, His providential directing to be reunited back to the church. Verse 10, Night and day, praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father Himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. So here it is, Paul is praying, and he is praying with all of his might. And he said, night and day, praying exceedingly. I mean, this is intense language. This is intensely dependent upon God in prayer. This is fervence in prayer. This is persistence in prayer. This is praying like you mean it. This is praying like you actually believe prayer works. And Paul said, man, I am praying for you guys. I am beseeching God on your behalf. I am falling upon God's mercy day and night for you. And what is it that Paul was praying for? What was it that that Paul so desired that he would see them face to face? Paul had been taken out of their presence because of persecution. I believe it's maybe five years later before Paul makes it back to that church. And Paul is praying for them and praying that he would be able to come back and see them again. That's just how much Paul desired to be with the people. That's, so, that's, that's huge for us, folks. That's huge, to be with the people. That's such a gift from God. Do you know that? I think many of the people in here know that. You know that. Being with God's people, there's nothing sweeter than that. That is a grace right from a loving and heavenly Father allowing us to be one in Christ and to be with each other. And it's been a hard year. A lot of us have been away from each other, and so we know more now than ever what it's like to be out of fellowship, to be out of community. And that's why we're, we're really prayerfully working hard to, to come back together and to start doing more things together, like when we went out yesterday to the beach or cookouts, just any and every way, small groups that we can be together. So that was all that Paul wanted. He wanted so bad to be with them. And guess what, folks? We are together. Here we are. We have the freedom to be together. We have the joy to be together. And Paul wanted to be with them. Why? He says that I may perfect what is lacking in your faith. That is to, to bring to completion, to, to mature you, 
to fill in the gaps, that's literally what that means, in your faith, to strengthen the believers, to encourage the believers, to better equip the believers. That was what Paul wanted. Paul prayed night and day exceedingly that he could be back in their midst so that he could encourage and strengthen them. Now that's the right perspective. That is the proper perspective. So often we do look at church as, what is it doing for me? What am I getting out of it? But the perspective is, what do I bring to the table? Because everybody does. Everybody has something to bring to the table. And so how can I add to the church? How can I make a contribution? How can I help strengthen what's already going on in this place? Oftentimes people can see very clearly holes in the church. They can see issues, and believe me when I tell you, I know that there are, there are many. It will always be that way. But usually when God allows you to see something, it's not so that you can just point it out and then run in the other direction. It's so that you can do something about it, so that you can use your gifts, so that you can get in the game and you can make a contribution, right? And so we see that with Paul. Paul prayed, God, please bring me back so that I can further strengthen and encourage the saints so I can make a yet another contribution to the, to the people there so that I can help to build up the body of Christ. That was Paul's prayer. Paul's prayer. And again, I, I kind of jumped over this point, but this is, a, as I've said before, Paul's being moved by the Holy Spirit to write these things. This is a Holy Spirit-inspired prayer. You want to know how to pray? You want to know the things that are important to the heart of God? Look at, look at the prayers in the Bible. And so we, we can pray for a lot of different things, and we should and but oftentimes i think that we don't pray for the best things and so here we see the kinds of things that paul is praying for and first he's praying to the glory of god he's recognizing god and then he's praying for the guidance of god that god would bring him back to god's people so that he could help to to strengthen and support god's people and that's a good prayer for us god help us god help me to know where I fit in and how I can best serve and bless other people in the body of Christ. You with me? Does that make sense to you? Okay, good. And that was Paul's prayer. Paul so desperately wanted to get back there, but the way he probably didn't know how it was going to happen. And so he just kind of had to say, God, direct my way. You ever been there before? I know where I need to be. I have no clue how I'm going to get there. God, help me. God help me. So often, that, that's right where we're at. That's where we need to be. And that's where God would have us to be. You know, I've thought about Peter, you know, walking on the water, and then he began to sink. I've often thought about that in the realm of Christian struggles. You know, why do we struggle the way that we do? You know, why is it, God, that I can't, I can't do this? I can't get, get victory in this particular area. I just think, what if Peter would have walked on the waves successfully? What do you think his attitude would have been? Man, look at me. Did you see what I just did? You guys didn't get out of the boat. I got out of the boat. Man, I was walking on those waves like a champ. You saw it. You know. But that didn't happen. He began to get his eyes off Jesus, and he sank, and he got humbled. And so I think oftentimes God will have us in that place because he would rather see us humbled by our own struggles than walking on the waves of our success and victory and pride. 
And I, the reason I just say all that is because I think, you know, oftentimes we find ourselves in a place where it's like, God, help me. God, I know where I need to be. I know where I want to be, and I'm so far away. God, help me. And I think that God, you're right where God would want you to be. Depending, recognizing your own weakness and inability and recognizing He's the source. And if there's any hope, it's in Him. It's in Him. And so Paul said, may God guide my way back to you. Maybe just another little point of application here. You know, um, God's people in a lot of ways have been separated over the past year. And that's my prayer. God, would you bring your people back? You know, a lot of people have, you know, some people have stopped coming to church because they're, they're disillusioned. You know, they grew up in the church. They expected Christians to behave a certain way. And then we started having the maskers and the no maskers and just every other little faction in between. And people got mad and didn't like how other Christians were handling it and got frustrated or disillusioned. And they just said, I'm out, you know. That's a tragedy. That's a tragic thing. And we got people who still haven't come back. They're still mad. Some people are just content to stay home. You know, they're, they're, they're chilling right now like a mug, drinking their coffee and pajamas, washing us. Hello. <laughs> That's all right. There's a time and a place for that, okay? But, uh, you know, sooner or later, sooner or later, it's time to come on back. You know, some people are scared still, and not understandably so. <clears throat> some people should be. You know, they have serious health issues, and, you know, I don't want to minimize that, but there are still people that are, that are away from us because of that. And there are some people who have, who have just fallen away, and that's probably what breaks my heart more than anything. You know, I've known people, they were just hanging by a thread, hanging by a thread. Now they're not, they're not with us anymore. And that's my prayer. God, bring them back. God, would you direct them back to us again? And I think we can relate with that. I think we all struggle on, on some level to, to getting connected and staying connected. I have people come to me from time to time and just say, man, I just I missed a couple of weeks and it was so hard to come back for one reason or the other, and I, I totally understand that. And so it's my prayer, God, would you guide their way back? You know, it's a good prayer. God, bring me back. Guide me back. Guide me back to your people, back to, back to the body of Christ. And that was Paul's prayer. Bring me back, Lord. And he did. He did come back. Came back and saw the church again. That was a sweet thing. All right, well, that brings us to point number three. So first, Paul prayed for the glory of God. He prayed and rejoiced in God's goodness. And then secondly, Paul had prayed for God's direction, for God's guidance. And thirdly, we see now that Paul prays for them to excel in love. This is an important thing to pray. I mean, this right here is, is a massive part of the message right here. Uh, not, not so much in length, but the content here, this is important. If you get nothing else out of this sermon today, we need to just right here. I want to just draw your attention right here. Paul prayed that they would excel in love, that they would grow and overflow in love. And we'll talk about why that's so important. Verse 12 and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you. It's Paul's prayer. He prayed that they would increase and abound in love to one another and to all. So notice here he says, and may the Lord make you. So this is appealing to the 
power of God. So he was appealing to the leading of God as he said, may God guide my way back to you. Now he's appealing to the power of God. May God make you increase and abound. And that's right. That is fitting. And so his prayer is that God, by God's strength, God's power, God's might, he would cause them to increase and to abound. And that is to grow in the love of God and to overflow with the love of God. To who? In love to one another and to all. Now that's significant. When you see the phrase one another in the New Testament, it's one Greek word, all alone, and it's used about a hundred times in the New Testament, and about 47 of those times is dealing with how Christians are to interact with one another. So we're to pray for one another, serve one another, we are to confess our sins to one another. On and on it goes. But there is one of those one another's that is used much more frequently than all of the others, and that is to love one another. To love one another. That is something that should be happening in the body of Christ. We should be overflowing with love. And not just to the saints. Paul also says to everyone else. So it doesn't mean that we can be nice to each other and then be hateful towards everybody outside the church, right? We are to be a people that are abounding in love to one another and then loving the folks outside of the church as well, for sure. Paul says, just as we do to you. So there's this reciprocal love happening here. Paul says, you need to be loving each other just as we love you. There's just a lot of love happening here. And so this is Paul's prayer because it is a huge priority. There are many things Paul could have prayed for here and one of them is love. Love. This is the Lord's command. That's why it's so important. Because Jesus specifically told us that we need to be marked by this. In John chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus says this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. There it is. There's that word, one another. Jesus said it, that you love one another. How? As I have loved you. Jesus says, you are to love one another as I have loved you. He says, by this, all will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. That's the command. It's the Lord's command. And Jesus did it first. And Jesus loved us and said, we are to love each other like he loved us. One commentator, he says this, that the commandment to love here is not a new commandment. Deuteronomy 6.5 commanded that we love God. Leviticus 19.18 commands that we're to love our neighbor as ourself. But he goes on to say, however, Jesus' command regarding love presented a distinctly new standard for two reasons. One, it was a sacrificial love modeled after his own love. It is the love of Christ modeled for us at the cross, that kind of love. And then secondly, it's a love that is produced by the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. So that's the kind of love that the church is to be marked with. That's the kind of love that we are to be loving each other with. It's the kind of love that Jesus loved us with and has commanded us to love each other with. It is a love that reflects the, the sacrificial love of Christ. It's a love that is empowered by the Holy Spirit. Amen? And so Paul is praying that that church would be full of the love of God. If it wasn't, that's a real problem. If the church has no love, that's a real problem. 
And so, of course, this would be a priority in Paul's mind. Out of all the things he could pray for, he's praying that they would be growing and abounding in love for each other, the love of Christ, the love that reflects Christ and is empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. This is a serious command, and it is a particular kind of love. There's a lot of love going on out in the world, right? We know people who don't know God, don't profess to believe God, yet we could say of them that they are loving, that they're kind. This is a totally different kind of love. This is a love un unlike anything that we've ever, I've ever known. You know, my love is so oftentimes weak. It's fickle. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Like maybe I love you until you hurt me or until you let me down or disappoint me. Anybody relate with that? Now maybe I don't love you so much. The, the walls go up. The guards go up. You know, and that's not the kind of love that Jesus loved us with. He loved us at our ugliest. He loved us at our ugliest. God demonstrated His love towards us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Oh, what kind of love is this? That's the kind of love that we have received in Christ. And it is by the Holy Spirit in us that we are empowered to extend that kind of love. That's the kind of love that Paul needed to see in the church, that Paul prayed would exist in the church. In order to love like that, it necessitates that you have received that kind of love. You've got to be qualified to love like that. Have you ever heard the saying that you can't love anybody until you love yourself? You ever heard that? False. False. We love ourselves. I mean, we have always loved ourselves. We love ourselves too much. That's probably the issue, really. But you're not qualified to love as you ought until you have been loved by the one who loves perfectly, the one who loves ultimately, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When you know that love, when you have been born again, when your heart has been radically and forever changed by that kind of love, now you can love. You're qualified and so that's where it starts, folks. That is the gospel. Our love flows out of our understanding in relation to the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the gospel is the love of God manifested and demonstrated to the world. That God, who is perfectly good and holy and just, who must hate sin and any injustice because of His very nature, because He is good, because he is perfectly loving, it necessitates that he hates error and hates injustice and hates wickedness. He simply must, and he does. And he will judge every wrong, every wrong that is ever committed, ever has or ever will be. But God is loving, and he is merciful. And God has made the way. He has made the way for us sinners to have our sins forgiven yet for God's justice and wrath to be upheld at the cross. At the cross where Jesus died, a perfect life was given in exchange for rebels and sinners like us. The perfect spotless Lamb of God, the Son of God, He died there on that rugged cross, on that cursed tree. It was my sin upon His shoulders there as He was being judged by God. My sin was being paid for. And when Jesus said it is finished, 
he was saying, that sin is forgiven, is cleansed. I have died for it. It is finished. The price has been paid. And when Jesus rose again from the dead, he declared victory. See, that's the kind of love I'm talking about. And when you say yes to Jesus, when you confess your sin, I have sinned, I have fallen short of God's glorious standard, and I stand accountable to a holy God because of my sin. When you can come to that place, and you can be honest with yourself, and honest to God about that, and say, but God, I know that you love me and that you sent your son to die in my stead. To take my sin and to give me your perfect righteousness. See, that's love right there. That's sacrificial love. That's what God has done for us in the gospel. That is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have a great sin bearer who has borne our sin upon himself and died in our place, who has then given free grace to sinners who don't deserve it because he is a good and a loving God, a merciful God. And so when we confess Christ and we ask forgiveness and we turn from our sin, we are forgiven. We are cleansed. We are made new. We are born again. That is the love of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ, in the face of his son, Jesus Christ, for us. And we are children of God. See, you've got to know that kind of love to be able to love like this. You have to know that kind of love. And that love is available to you. If you don't know this love, you can know it right now. It's as close as saying, I believe you, Jesus. Forgive me. I love you. Will you be my Lord? Will you be my King? I will follow you. It's as close as that. If you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and He is Savior and you express your need for Him, your trust in Him for salvation, such is the love of God. And Paul prayed that that love would flow abundantly in that church. It's my prayer that that love would flow abundantly here. And you know it does. I praise God. I mean, you know, pretty often people come to us and, and just tell us how they've been loved here and accepted uh, and welcomed. And man, that just refreshes my heart every time I hear it. That's what I want. If we could be known for two things, a fierce loyalty to the truth, to the, the teaching of God's Word, the doctrine, and love. Love for God and love for each other. If we can have those two things, we've got it all. That was Paul's prayer for them. So you have to know the love of God to be energized to love others. And you've got to put yourself in a place to experience it and to extend it. You've got to get in the game. We don't just pray, God, make me loving while we're over in isolation somewhere as though it's just going to mystically happen, right? You've got to be in the midst of the people. How are you going to love people you don't know? Who's going to be the object of your love? Well, we're supposed to be loving each other, so that necessitates that we be around each other in order to receive love and in order to extend love, right? I mean, this is really one of the most tangible ways in which you're going to receive the love of Christ. It's in the body of Christ. Other spirit-filled believers, uh, spirit believers that are sharing God's Word, who are loving and encouraging you, that is the love of Christ flowing through the body of Christ directly into your life. And you get to be a part of that. You get to be a part of that too. 
You get to be that conduit through which the love of Christ flows for the good of others. And so it's so very important. You know, and, and what are just some practical ways in which we express these kinds of love? You know, first and foremost, and I've talked about these before, just a little bit of a review here. Verbally, are we telling people that we love each other? Are we expressing kindness? Are we encouraging people? You know, I remember one time right before service, I mean five, ten minutes before service, something happened that just had me full-on distraught. I mean, I was upset. I mean, it was bad. I had to just go out back and sit on the little wall back there and just try to get it together. And right at that moment, a brother come walking through, and he just stopped, and that guy just ministered to my heart. I mean, it was like, it was like a hug from the Father. And it just revived my soul. And I knew that was from the Lord. And I know that brother didn't know, couldn't have known, the magnitude of what was happening right then. But man, that turned everything around. And God just lifted me back up. And it was just because a brother was willing to speak words of love and kindness and encouragement to me in the moment when I needed it the most. He just happened to come walking by. God's timing. Are we doing that? Are we using our words to encourage? You know, I used to work at this company and we would, uh, almost, we would make a game out of one-upping each other and, and kind of dissing each other. Um, it was kind of like a battle of wit and just always kind of cutting each other down. And finally it just occurred to me, like, I'm getting too good at this. <laughs> I thought, man, I want to be like proficient and encouraging and building people up, not lacerating them or tearing them up, right? And so I thought, guys, I got to, you know, pull back from that because that, just for that very reason, you know, I, wanna, I would rather get really good at encouraging people, loving people, verbally lifting people up and not, you know, making a game out of, out of uh, dissing people, as it were. And so words of, of encouragement, affirmation, you know, embrace, handshakes, high fives, hugs. We can do that again, y'all. Praise the Lord, right? Let's get after it. Spending time together, just being with each other, serving each other physically, meeting needs, acts of service. That's just one of the, one of the greatest ways. A helping hand. Just coming alongside somebody and giving them a helping hand. Being available. Blessing people, giving gifts, financially helping people. You know, that's, that's just another very practical way. But you know, what, you know what it takes to be able to do any of this? Being around each other and actually knowing what the needs are. How can you meet a financial need? How can you give a word of encouragement? How can you ha do an act of service if you are in isolation, if you don't even know who each other are or what the needs are, right? Does that make sense? And so we got to get in the game. we got to get in the game. And that was Paul's prayer. Paul's prayer. That they would love like that. That they would abound in it. That they would overflow with love. And this brings us to our fourth and final point. It was a prayer for readiness for the Lord's return, that they would be ready. Verse 13, he says, So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. So that, notice that little phrase there, so that. He was just talking about love, that they would abound and overflow with love, so that. So love is the prerequisite here to what is to follow. That they would overflow with love so that God would establish their hearts blameless in holiness. We talked about this word establish before. This, you may remember this in the beginning of the chapter. Paul said this in chapter 3, verse 1. 
Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left alone in Athens, and we sent Timothy, our brother, a minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Jesus Christ to establish you and to encourage you concerning your faith. And so Paul had sent Timothy there to establish their faith. And that word establish, it means a support that fixes. It's like to plant something down so that it has stability, so that it's sturdy, to give support or to secure, to solidly plant. And it eliminates vacillation, wavering. That's the idea here. And so Paul wanted Timothy to go and help establish them in their faith so that they would not be... You remember I talked about the basketball goal? That's basically the idea, like if you put a goal in the ground and some kids are playing with it, it will probably withstand that, but if some 300-pound guy comes and tries to slam dunk on that goal, it's going to fall over quickly. Well, that's the way life is, right? It's, life hits us like 300-pound men slam dunking a basketball goal. It's aggressive. And so Paul said, your faith has to be sturdy, has to be able to withstand the problems of life. Well, now that same word is being used here in regards to our hearts. And it's Paul's prayer that God would establish our hearts so that our hearts would not waver because we're half-hearted so often, double-minded. Our affections, our loyalties, our devotions, they go to so many other things, right? And Paul says, I'm praying that God would establish your hearts, that you, abounding in love, would have your hearts be established, blameless in holiness before God. That was Paul's prayer that their hearts would be established blameless in holiness in the sight of God. That's a, that's a powerful phrase right there. No charge or accusation can be brought against you. Blameless in holiness. In whose sight? In the sight of God. Before God. And at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this right here, we're going to start talking about this uh, in the following weeks as we move into the next portion of the book. But right here, Paul is talking about the return of the Lord, the rapture. And so there's going to come a point. We, God may return, or we may go home to be with Him first. We really don't know. It could be today. You really don't know. But Paul says, whatever happens, I want you to be ready. I want you to be so abounding in love towards one another that your hearts are absolutely rooted and established in holiness, and you will be blameless in the sight of God at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the idea here. We're not going to be ashamed. We're not going to be caught slipping, unprepared. We're going to be confident. We're going to be ready. We're going to be delighted to stand before the Lord. Not ashamed, not terrified, but excited. So that's how, that's how God would have us live our lives. Are you there? I mean, I know there's been times in my life where I was, I was not there. I thought, man, please, not today. Just not today. You ever been there? Well, Paul's prayer for them is that they would be so overflowing with love and that their hearts would be so established, blameless in holiness, that they would be ready for the return of the Lord Jesus at any moment. Whether he comes first or they, they go to be with him, they would be ready. On that day, that we would be found as one who is blameless in holiness before God because we are walking in love towards one another. Are we there? Are we there yet? 
That's the prayer. That's the goal. Or are we going to be ashamed because we were unloving or altogether disconnected, isolated? Some people, loving is just comes very naturally. It's just who you are. But maybe you're disconnected. You're not in a place where you can love. For others, maybe just being loving is step one. You know, I mean, just learning how to be gracious and kind and loving towards other people. But we got to be there, folks. That was Paul's prayer. That's my prayer for us. That we would be right in that place, always ready for God's return, always ready to go home and be with the Lord. And we won't be ashamed because we were living as we were, ought, we were made to live. People who are living for the glory of God, giving God the credit and honor. People that rejoice and celebrate when we see good things happening to other people. People that are making every, every effort to be actively engaged in the body of Christ. Making a contribution, supporting and serving one another. Making every effort to excel in love. Every effort to excel in love making every effort to be found blameless in love and holiness on that day. Amen? Father, we love You. Thank You that You are our good and heavenly Father. Thank You for this prayer, so profound, yet so simple. God, may You have all the glory in our lives because You are worthy. Lord God, would You cause us to absolutely cherish being with each other, being connected in the body of Christ, everybody doing their part. Lord, would you cause us to excel, to excel in love more and more, to abound and overflow. And Lord, would you cause us to live in a place of constant readiness as those who are walking in love, who are rooted in Christ, who are blameless in holiness and ready to see your face. That's our prayer, Lord. That's our prayer. That's our cry. And we know at the end of the day, it's all you, Father. We can make every effort. We can make every effort, God. But at the end of the day, we're counting on you. We are counting on you, Lord. We thank you that you're faithful and we can be confident in you. And we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.